Welcome back to Lymphoma Talks, a month-long podcast special brought to you by the 2022 Central Michigan University Bateman Competition Team. This week, I sat down with Erica Campbell. Erica was diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin lymphoma at 27 years old. She survived and now runs her own company, Erica Survived, where she connects lymphoma patients with crucial resources and support. This is Erica's story. My name is Erica Campbell. I am a stage four Hodgkin lymphoma blood cancer survivor. Uh, I was diagnosed on March 28th of 2013. So today, almost nine years later, I have started, uh, I will say about six years ago, about six, seven years ago, I began uh, with my movement, my desire to survive movement that is now called Erica Survive LLC, which is uh, a cancer advocacy and support movement where I help other cancer, newly diagnosed cancer patients and survivors and their families as they come into this, this new change of life and just trying to understand what their journey will look like and just try to give them that uh, listening ear and give them that assistance and uh, direction to pretty much have, I guess, a clear mind, but not so much because even though you're getting guidance and you you have someone that's listening you know, to your questions and your concerns, you still have these things in your mind as you go along your journey, but just try to help them as much as I can through uh, my, uh, my movement, Erica Survive. And I know we talked about previously your work with the Lymphoma Research Foundation. How did you originally get involved with them? My social worker at the cancer center where I was receiving my treatment, St. Agnes Cancer Center in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, I received a lot of support from the social worker. She gave me a lot of different information in regards to the different organizations that will help assist with financial assistance, peer-to-peer support, and the Lymphoma Research Foundation was one of the organizations that I came across. So I reached out to them to get support, to get uh, to speak to someone is just get some guidance as I was going along my journey. Also financial support. They actually helped me to help me with just like with gas money to get back and forth to my appointments and things of that nature. After I say in 2014, I was able to share my story on their Stories of Hope page, uh, which is on there today, uh, lafoma.org. It was, it was amazing. From there, I just began to be in very close with the organization and and I consider them family. I'm a, a young adult and um adolescent ambassador with the organization. I have been for eight years now. So it's it's wonderful. I did my first walk, the Lafoma 5K walk. I say back in 2014, 2015, when my team desired to survive, my family, my friends, we we raised funds to help with research and financial support and things like that with the organization. And it was a great, it was for a great cause, of course. And it was a wonderful time. I was able to share my life changing story and at their educational forum on their big stage, on the big stage at the educational forum in Chicago in 2019. Yes, right before the pandemic. So that was a great experience. Before that, I've attended many of their educational forums over the years where I was able to speak at the breakout sessions and also introduce the doctor that would come in and speak about uh, Hodgkin lymphoma as well. So yes, I've been a part of the organization as an ambassador for many years, and I will say they have been very great support and been there for me along the way. I'm glad yes. you have such good uh, 
relationships with the people within the organization. Yes. Why do you feel it's important for you to be able to share your story with the community? I feel that it's important that I share my story because I was once there. I was sick. I was tired. I was sick of being sick and tired at that time. And I didn't know which way to turn. I needed guidance. I needed someone to hear my questions and concerns at that time. And these, the organizations that I reached out to, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the Lymphoma Research Foundation, American Cancer Society, these organizations I reached out to and I was like, help me. You know, how can you help me? How can I understand what is going on in my life at this time and why my life has changed? My life changed forever. I told myself this several times as I laid in the hospital or while I was home on a couch, relaxing, just trying to get back to good health, you know, and survive my cancer battle. And I said to myself, you know, I was like, God, if you get me through this, which I know you will, I'm going to give back for almost nine years, that's all I've done. I've given back. I've been a listening ear. I've done fundraisers. I've done the walks. I sat on the phone and I've listened to newly diagnosed patients and their families with their concerns. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. So I'm doing it today to be able to help those in my community. That is just so, so great to hear. So I know that, and I don't know if this was a struggle for you from what I've read, a lot of young adults and adolescents who have lymphoma or trying to, or getting diagnosed with lymphoma have some issues in actually getting that diagnosis. They're diagnosed with mono first or something else first, and doctors are kind of avoiding it. Could you talk a little bit about how you got your diagnosis and if that was a struggle for you at all? Actually, I will say I was truly blessed. In 20, November 2012, I began to have this persistent ongoing cough and it was like, I couldn't talk to you without every couple of seconds. I'm coughing, I'm coughing. And I said, okay, it's November, it's it's chilly out. So I may have like a late fall, early winter cold. I took over-the-counter meds like anyone would do. And for two weeks, I was just coughing. And I remember my colleague saying, you need to get that checked out. Like something is wrong. And and again, today we couldn't cough like that because it would be, oh, you have COVID, you know? (laughs) So I'm glad that wasn't the case back then. But I finally, after I wasn't able to get rid of the cough, I went to see my primary care. He said, oh, you have a dry cough. He sent me home with Robitussin and antibiotics. And seven days later, for however long I was taking the meds, I finished the meds and I'm like, okay, I'm still coughing. And I remember leading up to that, I would hear people say, your your clothes are big. You look like you're losing weight. What are you doing? And I wasn't really working out back then. So I just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just one of the lucky ones. Hey, I'm shedding some pounds. I just didn't think at that time, but I went back to my primary doctor and he said, okay, I'm going to send you to the radiology center to get a CAT scan. So I went to get a CAT scan. He, I think he contacted me back maybe 45 minutes later and said it looked like I have uh, partial pneumonia. So I'm like, okay. So he said, I need you to go back and do another one with a contrast so that they can get a a better look. So I went back a few days later, did another uh, CAT scan with a contrast. And then like before he contacted me and said, it looked like my lymph nodes were enlarged around my lungs, which was causing me to cough. 
okay, so what does that mean? He said, we would need to sit down and talk. He said, I will say it looks like with that, it can be either either sarcoidosis or Hodgkin lymphoma. I've heard of sarcoidosis because of the comedian actor Bernie Mac having sarcoidosis, but I never heard of Hodgkin. So of course, like anyone else, I Googled it. And so to my surprise, I seen cancer. I was shocked and I was like, okay, well, I hope it's not that. And I hope it's not sarcoidosis. So when I did, when I met with my doctor, uh, maybe the week after the, the very next week, we sat down and he said, I'm a little concerned. So let's have you go see a specialist through John Hopkins and take your CAT scan CD to see if he wants to do a biopsy. And in fact, I made an appointment and he did want to do a biopsy. We did a biopsy in December of 2012. It was not successful. They they put me under, they went in, they took a little small piece of the lymph node and it was not successful. And I'm like, okay, something is wrong. So moving forward, he said, well, we have to have to send you to another specialist to do a, a, another surgery, another biopsy where they had to cut my neck open. They went in, they took a lymph node and this was actually on March 28th. 2013, the day I was actually uh, diagnosed. So it was steps to get to where I was diagnosed, but they didn't push me off. I was actually happy. I look back at that day. I'm glad I, I wasn't pushed off to the side. That was nothing because I've heard these stories where it's like, okay, it's nothing. It's just a, a cough. You know, it lingers for a while. And I'm glad I wasn't one of those individuals that was kind of pushed to the side the day that you received your diagnosis, what kinds of things were you thinking or feeling throughout that day? That was a journey. Reading the side effects or the symptoms for Hodgkin before I was even diagnosed, night sweats, fatigue, loss of weight. These things, I was having these problems for months, maybe even for at least a year. I was having the night sweats. My girlfriend was telling me, oh, you're going through menopause at a young age. I was mid-20s. Um, and this, again, this is before the cough. I was having the night sweats. I couldn't stand in the shower for a long period of time, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes max, to wash up, to get ready for work or whatever I was doing. I was having the loss of weight. Hence, I was being told that I looked like I was losing weight, but it never dawned on me. So now that I have the cough, I'm like, okay, I don't know if it was more the stress or the cancer was, was spreading, which it was rapidly. So while I was waiting to have the second biopsy surgery, and because it took months, is because I was having some insurance coverage issues. So I had to wait till I fixed it to have the second surgery. So that's why from December to March, it was a gap. The week before my actual second biopsy surgery, I, like I said, I, I was really I was really just up and down sick. Now my body is really shutting down on me at this point. And I remember my girlfriend wanted to hang out on a Friday night. I said, okay, I had a long week. I need to get out. I've been stressed. Before I left out that night, I wasn't feeling well, but I kept pushing. So I'm going to go out. I'm going to go have get some dinner. When I got into my vehicle and drove out, of, was driving out of my complex, I just vomited all over myself. And I felt this heat wave. I just knew something was wrong. A good girlfriend that lived near me took me to the hospital when they told the ER doctor, physician, what was transpiring the next week, you know, everything that has happened up till this day, he wanted to do his own CAT scan. He did a CAT scan. And then about an hour later, as I, I laid in the ER, he came back. He said, I'm not going to diagnose you, but it looks like 
it can be it can be cancer. And I was devastated. And I'm like, wow, he said the cancer. And then mind you, in November of 2012, they said nothing about the cancer being any like spread or anything. But this particular day, the the week before my actual surgery, mid mid-March of 2013, he said the cancer has spread everywhere. So now he said, are you still working? I said, yes. He said, you may want to take off until you have your final diagnosis the next week. So the day of, it felt like I was dying. On the day of my surgery, I was in the car in the backseat of my parents' vehicle. My parents were taking me and my sister was in the backseat with me. And I just laid my head against the window because I just felt so sick. My whole body was weak. I could barely walk. At that moment, I thought I was going to die. I told my mom when we got to the hospital, the surgery uh, entry, I said, I can't walk. I need a wheelchair. Come to find out when it was prepping me for my surgery, they did blood work and things of that nature. My red, my red blood cell count was very low, which was why I had no energy. So they had to start a, a blood transfusion before they took me in to do my surgery. So I was getting the transfusion as I was getting this surgery, as I'm getting my neck cut open. It was crazy. And while I was... And recovery, I'm like, okay, what do I have? Like, what's going on? What is my results? And the doctor, I'm sorry, the, the nurse in the recovery assured me that they had to keep me over the weekend to get more blood transfusions. But once they took me up to my room, my doctor, the surgeon would come up and talk to me and let me know everything. When they took me up to the room when my parents and my sister were waiting for me, he came in, I have gauze on my neck, I'm laying there. And he, in fact, told myself and my family that I had cancer. I had Hodgkin lymphoma. And at that time, I didn't know I was a stage four. But later I found out that, yes, it has spread all through my body with a bone marrow biopsy. It spread into my bone marrow. So it put me at a stage four. Like you had said, I'm grateful that you had doctors who who cared and wanted yeah. to know what was wrong with you, too, because so many people don't get that kind of care. Definitely. Um, what is something that you know now that you wish you knew that day? That day, I was ready to go off on God. I was like, why me? Why did you choose me to go through this? Why did you pick me? Like, what, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Why am I, why am I in this position? Am I going to die? Like, God, why me? Today, I say, why not me? Well, well, I'm not exempt, but really, truly today, I say, I wouldn't have been in this place where I am today had I not went through what I went through back then. And he chose me for a reason. He knew what he was doing. And I, and I look back like, why not me? I'm not exempt. The next man, next woman is not exempt from any type of tragedies, disease, and you just got to be a fighter. And I learned so much during that time and along these eight and a half, almost nine years to just continue to fight and never give up. And that's what I continue to do. That's what I continue to share with others. Continue to smile, never give up and always have a desire to survive. I love that. And that's something that our group is really trying to raise awareness for with this campaign is that yes. why, why not you? It can happen to every, anyone. Yes. And we want to make sure other people are aware that it's something that could happen. So yes. And then is what do I do next? How do I get the support? How do I get the resources? And, and granted, you can cry, 
You can be angry. You can be happy. You can be, you know, whatever your day is like, you can have that, that space, that moment, but also know that you have to fight. That's the only, that's the only way you have to fight. Absolutely. Kind of going along with that. And I know you, you touched a little bit on, you had some insurance problems early on that postponed your diagnosis. Are there any particular obstacles that stand out to you that you didn't expect to face during your treatment? Yeah. So I was young. I was, again, I was diagnosed at 27. When I went in for my first biopsy surgery in December, 2012, I was, again, I'm learning about the whole, how insurance work and things. Cause I never really had to use my insurance other than going to physicals or the OBGYN or stuff, stuff like that, simple stuff, but nothing major. You know, when I went in, I was told that I had to pay this $500 uh, deductible up front the day I walked it into my surgery. And I'm like, huh? I don't have $500 in my pocket right now. Like, what is going on? We had to, they had to take me into a financial office to speak to a financial advisor and they put me on a payment plan. So hospitals and, and I believe cancer centers as well, they have these payment plans that you can do. You can uh, take part of if you don't have the finances, but that's where I had problems that, that gap. So I had to get, I had to wait to January to get my new coverage in order to move forward. So that's, that's why I had that space. I had to schedule my appointment again around the time the doctor had available, which was the end of March. But I will say my social worker put me in contact with these organizations that supports patients and their families significantly for travel expense, hotel expense, copay expense, copay assistance. I would say I'm truly blessed because today I'm debt free. The only only monies that I uh, I come out the pocket for is for my appointments, my copays, and things like that. If I didn't have insurance or have the the resources, I would be probably two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in debt. I will say I did the research. I received so many resources, and that's what I do through Erica Survive. Mm-hmm. If individuals don't know this, I, I provide them with this information. It's so sad that we live in a world where someone can be so sick and have to owe money for it. And that is the truth. (laughs) Respectfully, that is the truth. I'm glad that you were able to find the resources that could get you through something like that. Yes, I'm very grateful. Uh, Like I said, grateful for my journey and it's it's my calling to give back to others, you know, because I've talked to so many people that either don't have close family or friends to support them, or they don't have the social worker at the cancer center where they receive it, or they don't know what's going on along their journey. I'm like, okay, where's the social worker? Why are you not asking to speak and have a sit down with your oncology doctor? Like, this is crazy. Me and my oncology doctor, hey, I got her number in my phone. (laughs) I can text her. I can call her. I just seen her Monday for my annual checkup. I love her. Like she, and she is the lead person at this uh, this cancer center, but she always made me feel like I was her only patient. And therefore we know she's, I'm not, but <laughs> that's the feeling you're supposed to get. Yeah, it's, it's no reason why you don't have someone that you should be able to talk to or be able to talk to about what's going on along your journey. That's why Erica Survive is here <laughs> and other organizations, they're here to support you. Absolutely. 
something else that my group and I have kind of looked into with adolescents and young adults who are diagnosed with lymphoma is sometimes you have changes in like your relationships and obviously your life path that you might not be expecting. Were any of your personal relationships or career plans affected by, well, obviously you, you didn't have a plan to start, start and yes. survive, but how did that career shift happen for you? I was working as a protection officer. The agency that I was working for, they were very helpful and very, very supportive. I was out of work for about four months, but that's where, you know, the FMLA come in, comes in and you're covered, you know? And so if you have that, you know, with your company or your, the, the job that you're working, that is a plus. Relationship wise, I was just dating. Again, I was in my mid 20s. So I had a couple of boo boos, you know? <laughs> no. I was dating and I had friends, but I wasn't in a serious commitment. Uh, so it wasn't hard. And I had support from the individuals, uh, my friends that I, I did have close relationship with. I did have the support. They would come visit the hospital, bring me food. I was on steroids and I was eating like crazy. So, and you know, in the hospital, it's so funny in the hospital, they feed you at certain times. And I think dinner was at like four or five. I'm like, I'm on steroids. So by like eight o'clock, I need some more food and no jello and no crackers. So I had a lot of support. We're like, hey, can you bring me some food? <laughs> uh, and, and even, you know, being home, I had a lot of support for friends and family that came over to, to visit and to be with me. And even today, you know, life after cancer, I, I would say I'm truly blessed. I didn't have any uh, serious effects after. And that's a blessing because I know a lot of individuals, they have ups and downs. I have moments where I have anxiety. Uh, I had my, my first anxiety attack while I was in the hospital. And that was the first time I've, I've ever experienced it. It was like the devil was for me. I, I, I can't even really explain it. I don't wish that on anyone. From there, they did try to send me home on medication. I did. I took it once or twice, but I just was like, I'm not going to uh, continue to take medication. I'm just going to pray, meditate. And just get through these moments. Today, I still have moments where I have anxiety. And I have I have my moments where I think back to my experience with cancer. But again, I pray, I meditate. I just try to lose sight in that moment so that it won't conform to me. It don't take over my life. And I talk about that a lot in my book, I Survived from Cancer to the Runway. But I'll give you that information later. And, and all the listeners. <laughs> I will say, by the grace of God, I don't have any issues with uh, well, dating is hard in itself, but, you know, I, I, I didn't have true issues with that because my focus was on getting back to my good health and being cancer free. If you could give advice to a college student or a young adult who was recently diagnosed with lymphoma, what would you say to them? I would say you are amazing. You are a warrior. You are a trooper. And you got this. Always remember that at the end of the day, only you can fight the fight that you're going through right now at this moment. And you have to keep pushing. You gotta, if you have questions or concerns, there are organizations, there are groups out here that will support you along the way. Even if some individuals may feel they don't have the support of their family or their friends, there are organizations for you for you to receive that support that you're lacking, that you need, and to never give up. Never, never give up. Continue to survive with your beautiful smiles and always have a desire to survive.
That's that's amazing advice. And I think that's something that people need to hear is that they just need that little bit of support, especially if someone doesn't have support within their family or friends, Mm -hmm. if they're going through something like that. And don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, some people get afraid. "Ah, Maybe that's a dumb question. Maybe I shouldn't. No, no question is silly. Ask all the questions. That's why they're there. They went to school, put in so many hours of studying for you so that they can answer your questions or concerns. Don't don't rely on Google because you will drive yourself insane. Ask the questions to your caretakers, to your, your medical team. Ask those questions and concerns. Absolutely. You mentioned something about your book. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I wrote my first self-published book, I Survived from Cancer to the Runway. I am also, well, since the pandemic, it kind of slowed down, but I am also a runway fashion model and print model. I've done that for eight years as well, uh, from New York Fashion Week, DC Fashion Week, first cover in Lux Curves magazine in January of 2020. I took on modeling in 2014. I did my first fashion show for, for a cancer awareness event uh, called Still Alive. And I did that. I said, oh, I'm loving this. I'm, I'm cute. I'm wearing all these cute clothes. Like I can do this. So I, I, I took it and I ran with it. And my book is very inspirational. It's very empowering. It's, I'm very transparent about my journey. It's so much in the book where I share my ups, my downs, my good days, my bad thing, uh, days, and everything leading up to where I am today in my life. It's a great read. And not just because I wrote it, but straight to the point, uh, beginning, middle, and the end, a cliffhanger as well. But um, I would say, yes, get it. You can get a signed copy. You know, I sit here right at my desk. I got my my marker, my my pen, and uh, you can get your signed copy at ericasurvive.com. And definitely, if you can, support it. Support it and, and, and leave me your feedback. Amazing. <laughs> well, Thank you. Thank you for that. That's all the questions okay. for you, but is there anything else that you want to add before we finish recording? Like I said, check out ericasurvive.com. If you are a student that have any questions or concerns, or even have a loved one that has any questions or concerns, they don't have to just be Hodgkin lymphoma, blood cancer. I am here to assist any way I can. You can send me a message on there. I believe my email is on there as well, info at Erica Survive. But yes, I love what you, what you guys are doing. I thank you for reaching out to me and I wish you guys very well success with your podcast and all that you're doing because again, I was 27. So I was at a tender, t- tender age and I was you know, living life. So just imagine being 19, 20, 21 and your life changes, you know, like that. And you just don't know what to do. So definitely love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to talk to me and give us some information for what we're doing. Really appreciate you being so open and like sharing your story with us because I definitely gained a lot just listening to you. And I hope some other people can too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Lymphoma Talks. Be sure to tune in next week for another story and follow at Lymphoma Talks on Instagram for updates. If you or a loved one is struggling with lymphoma or early symptoms, please go to lymphoma.org or contact your primary care physician to learn more about the resources available to you.